0: Hello, everyone, and welcome to Shot Reverse Shot. Uh, I am Matt Risby. Hello, Uh, and joining me as always is Ed Davis. How are you going, sir?
1: Okay, I'm still recovering from the. Last two minutes of the Super Bowl, which is probably the uh, most uh, emotional whiplash I've ever experienced watching a sporting event.
0: Mm, it was it was a good close game uh, um, that I thought was uh, when I was when we were watching it um, uh, when the kind of uh, the the uh, the denouement was in process and the interception was thrown. I actually thought the Seahawks were winning the whole time anyway, mm. and they were just running down the clock. And it just shows that I might have drifted off at some point in the third quarter.
1: Well, yeah, I think, would it have been about like four in the morning or something for you as well? It
0: was, it was coming up to three in the morning for us. So, uh, yeah, I kind of, I'd, I'd done pretty well to stay up with the whole thing. But I, I just zoned out for a little bit. And, uh, yeah, I kind of thought they were winning anyway. Uh, that kind of Super Bowl nonsense aside, uh, we're talking about um, historical accuracy uh, this week. Um, uh, why are we doing that, Ed?
1: uh next week we're doing an episode about the oscars and you know award season in general and this is kind of a a prelude to that because uh it was a a kind of a subject that i wanted to talk about in the oscars episode but i thought it would kind of derail everything so to kind of it seemed like something worth discussing in its own right uh in Mm. terms of certainly in terms of this oscar season where the question of historical accuracy has been something that's been bandied about and used to kind of bludgeon certain awards contenders or to kind of force them out of out of But it's something that has really kind of come to the fore in recent years um, as something that is often cited as a detriment for a film, uh, and I don't really think it should be.
0: Hmm. Um, is what specifically has uh, what set you off this time, Alan?
1: <laughs> this time, Lynn. It's um, <laughs> it's uh, mainly it's Selma. It's the the, the film Selma, directed by. Eva DuVernay, which is, you know, about the Selma uh, march, uh, which was a very important uh, part of uh, civil rights history. And uh, the conversation around the film has mainly been about uh, a scene which implies that uh, LBJ, uh, Lyndon Johnson, the President of the United States at the time, uh, ordered J. Edgar Hoover, who's played by uh, Dylan Baker in the film and who doesn't really get enough to do, because I really like Dylan Baker, He's just a very creepy looking guy. <laughs> um, mm. He's certainly a, a, a more uh, accurate uh, J. Edgar Hoover than Leonardo DiCaprio, but that's a subject for a future podcast. Um, uh, yeah, he he. it's implied that he gave him the order to release tapes of uh, Martin Luther King's uh, infidelities to his wife in order to kind of uh, break up the marriage. And there's been a lot of discussion about how uh, there's no evidence that johnson would have wanted to do that and he actually would have been at cross purposes it doesn't really make sense in the film that he would be the one to do it and that has become basically a a sticking point through which people have used to discredit the film and say that it shouldn't be nominated and it's become the center of a controversy but Mm. on the other hand the imitation game is nominated for a bunch of oscars and is a film that no one's been talking about in terms of its historical accuracies even though in the film uh Alan Turing, is played by Benedict Cumberbatch, is shown to be, to share an office with, or shed really, with a communist spy, which he didn't do. There was a communist spy at Bletchley Park, but he was never in the same uh, shed as Alan Turing, and as far as anyone knows, they never actually met. Alan Turing figures out that he's a spy, and is then blackmailed into not revealing that fact because the spy says that he'll reveal that Alan Turing is a homosexual, which didn't happen. And then also, he was, it, he was
0: a homosexual, right? Yeah, he was a homosexual, that, that but like,
1: he was never blackmailed by a spy. And so basically right. they turn him and basically say, yeah, he was kind of a traitor um, mm. for not revealing this and allowing himself to be blackmailed. And there's just a bunch of uh, things throughout the film where they mould history to a more conventional narrative in order to make it more crowd-pleasing. And it's all bollocks, and it's all completely like, not... has any reference to the historical record, and no one has, like, kicked up a fuss about it, and I find that to be fascinating, that 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 situation has arisen.
0: Mm. We're also seeing um, a similar thing happening with American Sniper, aren't we? There's been uh, a real uh, to-do, mainly because the film's been uh, very successful, kind of against uh, everyone's best, uh, kind of, guesses, but also a few vocal uh, people have been quite uh, adamant that it's... Um, quite the opposite of what it's turned out to be and that the, the the central character is uh, perhaps not um, as a you know kind of a, a, a nicer guy as, as he is painted to be in the film
1: yeah there's a there's a lot of stuff in there where they talk about where people have said that a lot of Chris Kyle's story is uh at best exaggerated on his part because he was someone who was quite self-aggrandizing and maybe he, uh, exaggerated how many times he'd killed people, how many, or, or the nature of his films. There's a, there's a large segment of the story, which, uh, doesn't really have any historical basis. In fact, where he has a competition with the rival sniper, which I think has just been dropped in from enemy at the gates. Mm. Um, it kind of matches that storyline beat for beat, which is very weird. um, but yeah, so there's there's a bunch of stuff in there where there's the, the stuff in it that kind of differs from the historical record and has kind of clouded the uh, discussion about the film um, to 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 the detriment because there's a lot to discuss about American Sniper that's much more interesting than whether or not things that haven't in it are true.
0: Mm. Uh, do you think that, like, because everyone will kind of, no matter what you say about historical inaccuracies in films, um, people always kind of wave the the stick of response back uh, of uh, you know artistic license. Um, is it a question of whether artistic license kind of impinges on um, the tone of the film? Um, like, I'd be prepared to accept a film which uh, was in, you know that did deviate from history as long as it was kind of uh, uh, tonally kind of sound. Or would you say that you know even that's not acceptable? um and that you know as soon as it veers off and kind of changes the kind of complexion of the film for you know narrative convenience um that you know that's a red flag
1: uh i think it's fine yeah i definitely think it's fine in terms of tone i think that that for example the uh the 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 thing in selma where they imply a thing about lbj hurts the film from a narrative level because it doesn't make sense for him at the time wanting to hurt Martin Luther King, as established in the world of the film. I think that's more egregious than suggesting that he told J. Edgar Hoover to do that in general, because I think that, you know, you, you th- if you know anything about Johnson, you know that he was a ruthless politician. He was someone who achieved great things, but often would steamroll the people in order to do it, and if you got in his way, he would probably go to great lengths to destroy you if necessary. He liked to compromise, and he liked to kind of work with people, but if you couldn't work with people, they were uh, they were definitely targets. So it's not like they did something that seems out of character for who Johnson was. It's just something that hurts the film. But I think that tonally it does kind of make sense in that Selma is something of a corrective to a very white uh, historical perspective that views all of this stuff as being mainly to do with Johnson. And I think it it rightly kind of offers a... A view on it where it's very much from a black perspective it's very much about the idea that this was a movement that had a strong grassroots components and it wasn't just about kind of these great men having big important discussions and passing legislation so i mm. think it kind of makes it, it even though it differs from the historical record it's doing it in a way which i think uh, is kind of necessary
0: mm. you're, you're a um, historian ed mm-hmm. uh, you read history um Um, At what point does uh, film just become a different perspective on events? Uh, Something I'm thinking about uh, in terms of a film about relatively recent events, we had The Social Network a few years ago, in which pretty much everyone involved with the film, uh, everyone who's featured in it, you know, uh, Zuckerberg and the, the Winkle bosses and some other people said, I mean, this is an entertaining film, but it doesn't really bear much relation to what actually happened. But no one seemed to get that upset about it.
1: I, I do think that the the rub kind of comes in when a film purports itself to be something of the historical record as opposed to off a work of entertainment. I think that in the case of uh in the case of the imitation game, it definitely presents itself as something that actually happened and it tries to say that it's about the importance of what Alan Turing did in the war and in terms of, you know, his his uh the innovations that came from his work, you know, in, in terms of computer science and things like that. Um, and so therefore his deviations from history are kind of harmful because they're kind of insidious and they're kind of not, they're, they're not kind of flagged up as such. Whereas even though I think it's a much worse film, Braveheart I don't really care Mm -hmm. that much that it differs from history that much because it's so easy to kind of pick apart and say yeah this is bollocks and this doesn't have any kind of bearing in history it's mainly just a Spartacus redux you know Mm -hmm. I think that in in those kind of instances I think it's uh it's kind of acceptable acceptable to differ from the historical record if it's if they're not kind of pretending oh like oh yeah this definitely happened this way
0: Mm. You see, I'm going to argue against that, because the problem with things like Braveheart and also, to perhaps a lesser degree, but maybe a more insidious degree, Pocahontas, Mm. okay, right, is that people who watch them, uh, you know, you don't learn about Pocahontas or William Wallace in school necessarily, so people who watch those films... You will probably grow up thinking that that is actually what happened, or at least it was like maybe they changed a few bits, like you know, maybe we didn't know that they wore blue makeup. Um, but like you know, generally, that's true, even though Braveheart, for example, features a love story between two characters who, at the time, uh, the, the woman was what one years old,
1: yes, as pointed out by a very funny Lee and Herring sketch in the mid 90s.
0: <laughs> ah, yes, so that's that's pretty, you know, that's a pretty kind of bad one. Um, and we're not talking about kind of like cosmetic things here that kind of make a small difference. I mean, that's just wrong. Um, Especially because
1: it's then implied that her child was William Wallace's and therefore the entire English line is descended from him.
0: Mm, yeah. So, you know, is that potentially helpful? I mean, for, for instance, like I grew up, uh, my first dabble with uh, the JFK Uh, kind of story, assassination, was Oliver Stone's film JFK, Mm. which, given the fact that it is a, you know, objectively speaking, it is a stunningly well-put-together film. It's kind of dizzyingly kind of uh, put together um, and edited and and written and everything and presents such a kind of wild array of facts and stuff, and, you know, growing up as a teenager, you're you're a little bit kind of anti-establishment. You think, oh, man, this is all one big conspiracy, and then you get a bit older and a bit more mature, and you think... Oh, I might look a bit into that, and you do, and you think, what the fuck is he on about?
1: Yeah, I mean, yeah, that's that's definitely true. I think it I think it depends on your perspective. Like, when I first watched Braveheart, I had already seen, like, that Lean Herring sketch. I, I, I knew that a lot of the stuff in it was you know, historically accurate, and then I watched it and was like, oh, this is a terrible film. <laughs> I mm-hmm. don't really like it at all. But, like, I never took it on face value as history. And also, you know, my academic background is if I watch a film purporting to be based on history, my first instinct is to just go away and just like, okay, how much of that was true?
0: <laughs> and search, right, for, okay.
1: search for that sort of stuff. But I think you're right that I think for a lot of people who don't have that, have that instinct um, bred into them or beaten into them by an academic background... They probably won't take those steps, and they'll watch it and they'll take it on face value that you know Alan Turing um, was blackmailed by a communist spy, or that yeah, you know, certainly in the case of uh, American Sniper that Chris Kyle was a uh, was just a perfectly nice guy and not in any way a psychopath. Um, I think that in but in that instance, I think the discussion about the film has been so heated that you know it kind of feels like. A lot of people may be aware that the film is not 100 percent what it purports to be. Whereas, in again, like you're saying, in something like um, in something in something like you know, The Invitation Game, it is kind of insidious because the film is just popular enough that people are going to see it, but not popular enough that people are having heated conversations about whether or not it's accurate.
0: Mm. So, I mean, would like to say you've got a degree in history, right? Mm-hmm. Who yep. did kill G- Who did kill JFK?
1: Uh, well, I believe if you consult the Red Dwarf episode where they go back in time to the 60s, he actually shot himself. Oh, okay. That's pretty good. Which I think is the, the only theory that makes sense.
0: Mm, magic bullet indeed. Um, yeah, you get like um, a kind of like a wide variety of films that purport to have some kind of historical fact. Um, there's a kind of a thread of films that put fictional characters into non fictional settings with real people. I'm thinking stuff like Titanic or Gladiator or Pearl Harbor, things like that. And still people find historical fault in those films, even though essentially the history is just a backdrop to a kind of a fictional story.
1: Yeah. I think that those are the ones that where I really kind of balk at the idea of people uh, citing historical ac- inaccuracy as a, as a problem. Cause I think that there you are, you're already taking the liberty by kind of, Putting someone in there that who wasn't there and it's a kind of a fictional story obviously the story of titanic is not real it's just there for a <laughs> thing that's happening well the titanic sank that part yeah. is real the love story part of it is not real um and you know so i think that but even then within that i think you can kind of see there are certain hurt, hurtful things such as the way that the uh i believe the the second in command on the ship is portrayed as a very heartless person where in real life he probably wasn't although mm-hmm. again it's kind of hard to say considering that the people complaining about that were complaining about it 80 years after the fact so
0: mm-hmm.
1: it's always hard to tell with something where it's that far away that the from the event that it's kind of hard to genuinely say what's true and what isn't um but yeah i think that it, once you are just taking a real life situation and fictionalizing around it questions of historical accuracy I think kind of go out the window
0: Mm. I'm going to talk now about a film that isn't in any way historically accurate in fact it's a completely fictional film but there's certain factual inaccuracies that kind of trip the film up even though it's fictional I'm talking about the film Robin Hood Prince of Thieves Mm. now I am going to say to you that Robin Hood probably wasn't a real person. I mean, he might have been, but like probably an amalgamation of lots of different people, maybe just like a bit of myth, a bit of legend, a bit of chucked in, a bit little bit of real. doesn't matter. Anyway, we're going to go back to that film, which has a bit where uh, he escapes the Crusades with, uh, you know, Morgan Freeman in, you know, we can talk forever about like the convenience of that happening just to wedge a black actor into a film set in the middle ages. Mm-hmm. Um, but also they arrive by boat in Dover and then they walk for about, you know, two miles and they're at Hadrian's Wall and then they arrive in Nottingham, which, uh, you know, it's not purporting to be historical fact, but something like that where it's just a, just a stupid factual inaccuracy, like, does trip the film up a bit, especially if you've ever been to Nottingham.
1: Mm. Yeah, I think it's, uh, especially because when they land, he just goes, "Ah, I'll be in Nottingham by nightfall from <laughs> Dover. By foot um mm. not really going to happen also it looks like it's like 2 p.m so he's mm. really uh he's really pushing his luck there but yeah i think i think there you can cl- clearly see they're going what parts of england look dramatic that we can put on screen and not really caring because they're making it with american audiences in mind mm. so o- obviously it's ridiculous to to british eyes because we, we look at that and think yeah this uh the geography of their journey makes no sense whatsoever
0: mm, but does does that matter if it's set in a historical uh like uh like a milieu that is actually a thing does it matter at all like i there's no questions asked about grand Budapest hotel because all of the locations even though they might be based on real places are all fictional
1: uh yeah i think yeah i think it there you're dealing in the the route certainly the the realm of robin hood in sort of the area of myth so i don't think it matters too much because i think there you're dealing with what is essentially an invented an invented england an invented uh story and and so it doesn't really matter that they just kind of fudge the geographical details again with the with grand budapest hotel even though it's it's based on you know sort of real locations it takes place in an entirely fictionalized country Mm-hmm. So it doesn't re- it doesn't really matter uh, that it's not a hundred percent accurate to that time. Although, given Wes Anderson's uh, you know kind of perfectionism, I imagine that a lot of the stuff there is probably exactly right to the sort of era that it's set in.
0: Mm. It's a weird one, isn't it, the Grand Best Hotel? Because like you can get away with I think like you can probably set you know do this film and change the name of a country to something made up, and that would be fine. But then like when he, even when he brings the Nazis into it and they've got a different name and different uniform, um, like that's quite a big narrative choice to make and changing it, but it's so in keeping with the tone of what he's done, mm. you don't really ever question it.
1: Yeah. And, and again, it, 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 has that whole feeling of being our world, but ever so slightly tweaked. Mm-hmm. So they are clearly Nazis and it's clearly meant to be the outbreak of, or, or at the very least a fascist organization that probably were pretty pally with the Nazis. Um, mm. You know it all it all kind of fits within the uh the the world that it, he's created, but it also feels just close enough or, or it uses kind of iconography that is just familiar enough to for us that we can go okay yeah i I know basically who these guys are and, and what's happening
0: mm. um another approach to to kind of uh making films that are kind of based on true stories as it were um but we're kind of doing it in a kind of slightly craftier way. Is to kind of just hide behind um, uh, kind of thinly veiled uh, versions of who you're trying to talk about. The most famous example I can think of would be Citizen Kane, a film that some people may have seen or heard of, uh, and also more recently The Master, uh, you know, a film that was very obviously about L. Ron Hubbard uh, and uh, what's it called, Scientology, um, but you know, chooses to tell that story in a different way.
1: Yeah, I think in those cases, what you can clearly see is that you have filmmakers who have a very particular story they want to tell, and they want to use real-life models to explore that. In the case of um, Citizen Kane, Orson Welles really wanted to tell a story about, you know, he wanted to tell a story that was about a million things, but, you know, largely it's about things to do with, you know, the the effect of wealth on people and power and how it corrupts, and and he wants to use this version of um william randolph hearst to to tell that story because he was a a kind of recognizable figure who had this this story that perfectly fit the story that he wanted to tell um and in the case of the master you know paul thomas anson kind of is telling a story about uh about trauma really about the the effect that World War II had on America and on on soldiers and how it made people kind of susceptible to that kind of cult and, you know, also to explore things like uh, the sort of surrogate father-son relationships that form the basis of a lot of his films. Mm. And so and there, he just kind of takes these real-life fascinating stories and kind of melds them. I think there, it feels like more... It's kind of a more honest dishonesty in that you know people who know about these real life things can point out and say, "Yeah, this is clearly taken from Elvon Hubbard's life. He did bury stuff out in the desert. He did, you know, he he did like to drink. He did like to carouse and all this sort of stuff. And a lot of his techniques are clearly based on uh, techniques that you that you would uh, that you know Scientology use and things like that. But you know, the the film is not like a It's not like a hit piece on him. It's not a hit piece on Elrond Hubbard and Scientology. It's more about exploring the psychology of of the sort of people who would create a cult and the sort of people who would kind of fall under its sway.
0: Mm. Can you think of any or kind of examples where uh, factual inaccuracy um, or kind of like perhaps artistic licenses really benefited uh, the telling of a story in film?
1: Uh, I think as as a very recent example in this film that I I really liked, I think you were a little cool on, is um, Foxcatcher, where there's a very big license taken in that uh, part of the film involves the two Schultz brothers being on Foxcatcher ranch at the same time, which never happened. Mm -hmm. Um, They were there at separate times and they never were together. So and but that's a big chunk of the film. That's a good 20, twenty 30 minutes of the film is about them being at the farm together and about um the Mark Rufflow character uh, you know, using his seeing his brother coming under the sway of this guy who's clearly bad for him and who's like getting him addicted to drugs and all this sort of thing, and trying to get him out of that situation. I think that mm. that is a a very strong, dramatic chunk of that film that uh, is, is really interesting and, you know, wouldn't be there if they just followed the story strictly to the letter.
0: I, I, the, what, the kind of version I can think of, um, the film I can think of that really benefits from having its um, uh, factual inaccuracies uh, kind of work to its advantage, but goes back to what I was saying earlier about tone, is something like Edward, mm. uh, a film in which, um, you know, a film a biopic basically about the filmmaker Edward, who was, you know, famously so terrible, um, uh, that you kind of have this kind of cult figure. Um, I mean, in reality, Edward was kind of a bit, a bit of a kind of like a desperate kind of outcast and kind of an alcoholic who kind of wound up making kind of nudie pics and kind of his story probably isn't particularly uh, uh, heartwarming. Mm-hmm. Um, but the film of Edward kind of, you know, they choose to de- you know, depict um, Edward as this guy who just loves movies so much, this kind of giddy enthusiast who just kind of. Uh, whose energy and kind of you know unbridled enthusiasm, uh, kind of far outstrips his talent as a filmmaker or a kind of an artist, and that film works perfectly, and no one's going to argue about Edward uh, and its historical inaccuracy.
1: Yeah, I think there as well. The vision of the director behind it is so strong, mm. uh, and it so clearly plays into their in- interests. You can you can tell that. Uh, tim burton sees a lot of himself in edward you know as a guy who's who's kind of always grown up being feeling like a bit of an outsider who has a, a love of these kind of movies that he made and but who also you know in his relationship with uh, vincent price who he became very close with towards the end of his life he sees a lot of that between edward and bella lugosi in the in the, the story um i think that there you can really see that uh the The interests of the filmmaker are, are take precedent over history, and I think that there is kind of the the important thing of historical accuracy is you know w- that whether or not the changes ultimately benefit you know you know like an artistic truth you know mm-hmm. or, or whatever it is that the 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 filmmaker is pursuing
0: yeah, yeah, I can see that um do you think that ultimately when we boil it down? does uh is factual accuracy less important than than shitty filmmaking
1: uh yeah i think shitty filmmaking is much worse like you know Mm. I, i kind of harp on about the the many crimes of the imitation game as a work of history or as something that purports to be history but it's a very well put together film it's you know it does its job it's kind of middle brow fair it's very sleek and it's just very kind of well-assembled, you know. It's not a terribly made film, it just has kind of a lot. And, and that is ultimately more important in judging it as a work of art. And then, you know, the question of whether or not it, it has kind of harmful things contained within it is, is something more for historians to kind of complain about. You know, mm. in terms of judging it as a film, I don't think it's a hugely important thing to kind of harp on about.
0: And is it ultimately the job of historians to be upset about historical inaccuracies and is it ultimately the, the job of film fans and audiences to decide whether it's a good film or not?
1: Yeah, I definitely think that historical inaccuracies shouldn't go in... shouldn't be a part of the conversation about whether a film is good, shouldn't enter into the conversation about whether a film deserves to be nominated for an Oscar. Um, mm. and so it, uh, because I think it's attacking a work of art for not being entirely, you know, based in the real world, which, you know, it's, that's, that's a legitimate thing if it's a documentary, but if it's a dramatic piece of work and if it's someone who is, who has an artistic vision that is, they are exploring through a real world situation, then I think, you know, go, harping on about historical inaccuracy is, uh, is kind of wrongheaded, mm. a bit cynical.
0: It's funny she mentioned documentaries and Oscars. There is that like uh, there has been precedent for you know documentaries bending the truth a little bit and being kind of disqualified for uh, for such a, the kind of the obvious uh, example there. I can think of is the film Roger and Me, mm. which uh, I don't think it was formally disqualified, but it certainly was uh, overlooked because there was some kind of uh, time frame shifting that seemed to paint uh the reality slightly different to actually what happened,
1: yeah, although that didn't uh that then didn't harm bowling for Columbine, which does pretty much exactly the same thing and mm. in a slightly more despicable way in terms of uh for example um, set having Michael Moore go to a old senile Charles from hessen's house and trying to turn it into kind of a thing of him being refused, which. Isn't quite how it happened in real life, and is very much kind of him uh, taking the story to his own needs.
0: Yeah, yeah, and And there is also like, yeah, it did. There is also quite a lot of bits in that, especially that sequence with Charlton Heston, where anyone who knows anything about how a film is made, um, you know, you can see it's clearly set stuff set up. Like he goes and puts a, a picture down of someone who died, a kid who died at Columbine, I think it was, or. You know, on on Charlton Heston's like porch and leaves it there, but it clearly goes to a like a shot, reverse shot kind of structure where there wasn't a camera there before, and there clearly is. And you know, that's kind of we expect some kind of uh, uh, um, artifice in documentaries, but that kind of took it slightly over the line for me.
1: Mm, I think that gets into the area we've talked about before of uh, of Michael Moore not really being a documentarian but a, a propagandist. Mm. For you know his own personal beliefs and his causes, and you can really see that in that film. In, in that case, that's really what's being rewarded in for his Oscar win. There was the strength of his argument or the mm. uh, the forcefulness of his argument.
0: Yeah, yeah, absolutely. John, um, you know my favourite film is uh, based on a true story. Uh, what? Fargo. <laughs> That's uh, that's probably one of the only films I can think of which starts with "This is based on a true story," which happens to be completely not not true.
1: Yeah, I like I like the fact how that has now spawned uh, another film that's based on a story that isn't true, which is Kamiko the Treasure Hunter.
0: Which is, oh, what's that? I don't know what that is.
1: That is a film that is coming out this year, starring Rinko Kikuchi, based on the urban legend about uh, that there was a story that a woman in japan watched fargo mistook it again thinking oh based on a true story thinking it was a thing that actually happened so she went to minnesota to try and find the money that steve buscemi buried <laughs> and froze to death oh brilliant that's the urban legend and there's never been any truth to corroborate it but there, there now someone has made a film basically saying what would you know what sort of uh, person would be driven to do that what must be going on in their life to actually pursue that kind of a crazy dream
0: Oh, wow, that sounds like a good film, man.
1: Yeah, I, it's, it's meant to be really great, and uh, Ringo Kikuchi is meant to be fantastic in it. But I do like the fact that it's kind of layers upon layers of artifice, a true story, a, a film based on a tr- based on a true story that wasn't true, inspiring an urban legend, which is itself, you know, a film purporting to be based on a true story.
0: <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that kind of starts to fold in on itself in a, uh, a kind of Russian doll-style kind of situation. Um, but, yeah... Um, yeah, so that's kind of historical inaccuracies Fear, you. Um, you know, you can kind of forgive them sometimes, and other times um, they just seem to kind of rub you up the wrong way and you can't really get past them. Um, I think, like, if if something is, is, like, really, really bad, like if they made, like, a film about, like, George Washington and stuff and were like, oh, he hated slavery, you'd be like, hmm, that that's not really accurate, is it?
1: Yeah, I think that they... That- that there has to be a, a question of agenda has to be thrown into it mm-hmm. um, obviously you know like Ava DuVernay has an agenda in wanting to present a version of American history and the civil rights that it differs from the the version that tends to be talked about because the visions of the civil rights movement is defined by kind of white savior figures and things like that
0: mm-hmm.
1: um, but there, there is a difference to saying there are multiple interpretations of history and multiple perspectives and just making shit up.
0: Mm, absolutely. I think I've answered my own question as well about like saying why no one got upset about like the social network um, and why people are getting upset about Selma is because Selma was about the civil rights movement and the social network was about fucking Facebook. Mm. So <laughs> ultimately, even though you know, the Winklevoss twins could be you know legitimately upset that they got like swindled out of money, it's fucking Facebook. But
1: um, it doesn't answer the question of why people care that much about... Lyndon Johnson's depiction in Selma, where he's just shown to be like a politician who's trying to do his best, uh, mm. and no one's seen any problems. With his depiction in The Butler, where he's shown taking meetings, shitting on the toilet.
0: Right. Okay. Wow. Sorry, Lee Daniels um, The
1: Butler, just not not the nineteen fourteen time.
0: No, 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 absolutely not. Um, and I think in just kind of to take it full circle, I'm pretty sure that in JFK, the film that I talked about earlier. Um, I'm pretty sure Oliver Stone seems to suggest that Johnson was involved in that somehow.
1: Yeah, that's definitely one of the the conspiracy theories that uh, Johnson was in on it because he thought that uh, Kennedy would be damaging to the the, the Democratic ticket, or uh, that you know there were kind of uh, you know the military-industrial complex thought that he would be a uh, that that he would be a better choice of president.
0: Right that's messed up that's messed up yeah so anyway um all of what you've just heard is true um we can vouch for that it did happen um we have it on record um next week uh like ed said we'll be talking about uh the awards and oscars and stuff because it's that time of year um and we're going to be talking about why anyone really cares about them and should we and are they important do they mean anything? Or is it just all a bit of harmless fun and a bit of Hollywood backslapping? slapping um, To find out the answers to those questions, tune in next week. Uh, and you won't get them, I can assure you. Um, until then, it's goodbye from me.
1: And goodbye from me.
0: And goodbye from me.